0: Take your Bibles back to Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 2, title of the message this morning is called I've Got the Power, and uh, if you think about the work of the Holy Spirit of God and the power of God, what he's trying to accomplish in our lives, it's an awesome thing to remember and reflect on the the work of Christ. We're in week number three of our Greater Things uh, series, and I believe that God is preparing his church for greater things that he wants to accomplish in and through us and as he's doing this he's seeking to prepare us to experience a fresh move of his power a fresh touch of his spirit fresh growth in our faith as followers of Jesus last week we talked about anticipating a mighty move of God's spirit and what that must have looked like on the day of Pentecost as the church gathered and as Uh, The the Holy Spirit began to move and and, and descend upon that early church at Acts what it must have looked like for the church to experience a move of God that Nobody could even uh, wrap their mind around what was happening because it was different than anything that they'd ever seen. And, and what God would do over those next few hours as the church would, would gather and experience the, the filling of the Holy Spirit of God. And we're going to look at that power, what it looks like. We examine how His Spirit gave younger men uh, dreams. He gave uh, older men visions of, of Greater things—the things that the Holy Spirit of God wanted to accomplish—and so we we learned last week not to uh, not to doubt that or be afraid of the dreams and visions that God gives us, because He's preparing our hearts for what He wants to accomplish. He wants us to see the bigger things on the horizon that He's trying to to accomplish in and through His church. We also saw how countless souls will be saved in the process, and I love being a part of a church that anticipates a move of god anticipates people are going to be saved throughout the course of a year and and folks that happens on on a regular basis we have people saved regularly on sundays before after a service we'll see it uh especially on big sundays like christmas and easter where people will give their heart and life to jesus christ in our our children's ministry in our student ministry we see kids saved on a consistent basis and throughout the year, we have people say at funerals. We've had, I remember one funeral in particular here. I was preaching and 13 people placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ at a funeral. And folks, uh, you go expecting a funeral and revival breaks out and uh, you experience a mighty move of God. You can't put a, a price tag on that and you can't, uh, uh, you can't hold back the power of what the Holy Spirit was wanting to accomplish And but, you know, it's exciting and never take for granted that the person beside you or across the aisle from you or in front of you or behind you has a relationship with Christ because you never know where they are in that spiritual journey. And so it's exciting to see that as you see the 40 days between the resurrection and his ascension. They were blessed with multiple visits of Jesus before he ascended in heaven. This morning, we're going to look backwards, though, in our text, text, because last week we were looking at verses 14 through 17. We're going to back up and capture the beginning of that chapter, of Acts chapter 2, and really, on purpose, look backward at what God would begin to do as he poured out his Spirit on the, the early believers there at Pentecost. It's a mighty move of God. This morning, as we go back... I want us to look at the birth of the church, the giving of the Holy Spirit, the power for worldwide gospel proclamation. And and, uh, like I said, entitled, I've got the power. Let's look back at Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. It says, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. In fact, they had gathered there. They were waiting for the filling of the Holy Spirit. Imagine the anticipation as the church gathered for that very first service of what is God going to do today? What is God in anticipation last Sunday we talked about anticipating a move of the Holy Spirit and what it must be like to sit there on the edge of your seat going, what is God going to do next? How is he going to show up in a greater way than he has any time in the past, and the power—it's awesome to see it unfold. They were told to wait for the Holy Spirit, and so they'd returned from the Mount of Olives. They were, had watched Jesus ascend into heaven, and now they're back in Jerusalem, awaiting the arrival of the Holy Spirit. Pentecost was held fifty days after the second day of Passover. Pentecost was one of three Old Testament festivals where people would travel to Jerusalem. And they would bring gifts and offerings. This feast celebrated the harvest. It was filled with a time of great rejoicing. I think it's only appropriate if you uh, fast forward to later in chapter 2, in Acts chapter 2, verse 41. It says, so those who received his word were baptized and there were added to that that day about 3,000 souls. So here, as they gather at Pentecost, Peter is preaching that very first sermon of the church, his first and, and best sermon he ever preached, and 3,000 people accept Christ as their Savior. Jesus put it like this in chapter 4. He says, Lord, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are what, church? They're white for harvest. I didn't grow up in a A cotton uh, area but uh, I grew up there uh, in this area where our church sits used to be a a tobacco field and and there's a certain look when tobacco is getting ready to be harvested and you can just sense uh, people that grow up in areas where there's cotton, Uh, we were playing, uh, our kids were playing sports and uh, different parts of eastern North Carolina, and you're driving and as far as you can see, that white is just across every single field. In it. And, and every time I see those fields of, of, of cotton that are ready for harvest, I'm thinking of this very text because it was a reminder, the fields are white under harvest. Several years ago, uh, I was with our students on a mission trip in Nicaragua, and I remember we had been out all day canvassing this whole entire village, whole entire town. Joshua remember this because he was on this trip, and I remember distinctly telling our students not to drink the water on this trip. I said, you know, don't drink water if people offer you a glass of water, make sure it's coming out of a, a you know, a, 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 some type of the bought thing, uh, it's not coming out of their tap. And uh, he's over there drinking water and uh, I was like, Oh Lord, we're gonna end up in the emergency room, parasites, who knows, but uh, God protected him. He's got a gut made of steel. But uh, we were we were over there and we were canvassing this area with Pastor Omar and and every house we would go to, we would share the gospel of Jesus Christ and give them literature and invite them to a, a church that was being planted in their village. And we get down to the very backside of this village, Stephen, and I'm I'm looking up, and literally, it was on the side of a hill. I don't know if it was a mountain, but a huge hill. And as far as you could see, you could see 10 roofs that were just covered by tin. And it just, it reminded me of this very passage of Scripture. The fields are white unto harvest. People got saved that day. And I remember listening to different ones that were with us sharing the good news of the gospel. And some were translating for our team. And, and we were able to lead people to Christ and thinking, what a powerful picture of the harvest fields that are ready to be harvested! And so we see that the day of Pentecost had arrived. Literally, meaning it had been fully completed or fully fulfilled. And we see believers were all together in one place. Other translations uses the term. They were with one accord, and it's really a musical term, Michael, and don't you love this cool new piano? I mean, it's the same piano sitting inside this super vintage uh, cabinet here, but uh, you you see the piano, it's a chord. They were all together in one accord, and it's like... It's not just one note, you know, when you start off in piano lessons, uh, you start playing with just one finger, and just one note, and you know, just, uh, but before long, you start adding in multiple notes, and it forms a chord, multiple notes form that chord, and it's, it's just, they're all together in one accord. It was a musical term that strike the same notes together. These first followers Understood the importance of gathering together and what God wanted to accomplish as the church gathered for worship. And it was obviously a a value uh, they would see over the next several chapters. And if you look at Acts chapter 1, verse 14, it says, All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer. We see uh, uh, in Acts chapter two, verse forty-four, they all believed we were together and had all things common. In verse forty-five of the same or forty-six of the same chapter, it says day by day attending the temple together. Think about what they would have missed. If they stayed home on that day of worship, the very first day of Pentecost, can you imagine, Stephen, what would have happened if you just kind of hit that snooze about 15 times and, you know, turned it over? And all of a sudden, I mean, everywhere you go, you're encountering somebody whose life was radically transformed at Pentecost and you slept in that morning. I mean, you can imagine that. I mean, of all days to skip church, this is not the Sunday to miss going to church. And it reminds me of a, a boy a few years ago that was sick on Palm Sunday. His family gets up and they go to church and they come back and they all have palm branches in their hand. And the father explained to the boy that uh, they all had these palm branches. And when Jesus came to town, they were waving branches to honor him. And the boy responds, sure, the way. Sunday I skip church Jesus shows up and and the reality is that sometimes you know we can sit there and think, oh well they're not gonna miss me if I if I don't go to church the church is better and stronger together when we're in one accord when we're all together seeking the heart of God praying for a move of the power of the Holy Spirit so the Holy Spirit gives us power to accomplish his plans Let's look now at these signs that he gives. First of all, he gives us, there are powerful signs, audible, visual, verbal signs. But we see, first of all, the power. The first sign is audible. And verse 2 says, Suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting this wasn't an actual physical wind that was blowing through; otherwise, some of the, uh, some people's toupees would be kind of flop, flopping in the wind as, as a tornado was blowing through the building. And I mean, it, it wasn't that kind of. Thing. Some of them would be holding their hair down, and you know, trying to keep. You know, Charles Stanley has like two hairs that he wraps around his head like fifteen times, and he'd be flopping up in the wind. And I uh, imagine Donald Trump, you know, hitting his hair, in that it's it's crazy. But I'm getting I'm losing I'm back uh, digressing, but. Uh, it says it's like a sound of a mighty rushing wind, and it's something where it began to fill the place, and people began to hear the wind and the move of the Holy Spirit of God, and they begin to come into the house of the Lord. It says they were sitting there, and it's significant because most postures for prayer was kneeling, and yet they were saying they were sitting because they were anticipating. The Spirit of the Lord arriving in that place. And when the Holy Spirit came down unexpectedly, it was all God's doing. The word for wind here in our text is also the word for Spirit and represents the power of God. We first see the Spirit's work in creation in Genesis chapter 1, verse 2. It says, The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering. Over the face of the waters. We see a a powerful move of the Holy Spirit's power. The Spirit's work in the new creation. In John chapter 3 verse 8 it says, The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound. But you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it's with everyone who's born of the Spirit. In other words what he's saying is this. The Holy Spirit is not something you can tame or control. When he begins to move in power, he begins to do a mighty work in his people. And that's ex- it's exciting to see what's happening. When we see not only his power, look at his presence. The, the first sign of the invisible spirit is extremely loud, but the second sign is, is extremely bright. In verse 3 it says, He divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. We see the presence of the God uh, of the Holy Spirit of God is descending upon the church there at Pentecost, Pentecost And it says, No flames it came to rest on each one of them. No one was left out, no one was excluded. Every believer, the Holy Spirit of God descended upon them. And it said it was like a flame of fire. Fire in the Bible represents God's purifying presence. As seen in Exodus chapter 3, it says, The angel of the Lord appeared to him, and in the flame of fire, out of the midst of a bush, he looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. We know, if you've been in church, you know the story of Moses and the the burning bush, and we've studied that. uh, But God also used fire to lead his people. In Exodus chapter 13, it says, verse 21, The Lord went before uh, by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way. "...by night and a pillar of fire to give them light, and that they might travel by day and by night." So we know the cloud led them in the daytime, the pillar of fire was by night. And then there was two uh, spectacular signs that are found together in Exodus chapter uh, 1, verse 4. It says, "...as I looked, behold, a stormy wind came out of the north, and a great cloud with brightness around it, fire flashing forth continually." And the midst of the fire, as it were, gleaming metal. So they see not only the power, but they see the presence of Almighty God is descending upon them. But then there was also a proclamation. And you see the gospel is being shared in their midst. That third shining or stunning sign of the Spirit is verbal. And it's found in verse four it says, They were all filled with the Holy Spirit began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. When 120 believers were filled with the Holy Spirit, they started proclaiming the gospel, the praises of our Savior in a number of languages that they had not known before. And the word for tongues refers to intelligible languages. These were languages unknown to the speakers, but clearly understood By the hearers. And so it was not just a prayer language. It was not ecstatic utterances. And sometimes when we talk about uh, people speaking in tongues, oftentimes in our culture today, uh, none of the, the, the guidelines given in scripture are actually followed. A lot of it is gibberish. But what we see here, this was intelligible languages sharing the gospel in actual languages of the people. And verse 5 says, As they were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews devout men from every uh, nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together. They were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own languages. In other words, the word is bewildered. They were in awe that here's people that were considered uneducated, unlearned, uh hicks, uh, rednecks, uh, country boys are speaking foreign languages that they're like, there is no way they can speak that language. I mean, I'm telling you, I had uh, multiple years of Spanish, but Every time I go on a mission trip to a Spanish-speaking country, I mean, it's like all bets are off. I mean, I know, donde esta style baño, because you have to go to the bathroom. I mean, you have to ask certain th- things about food, because you want to make sure you're not eating a, a dog. But, you know, that well, that's in India, I'm sorry. But, I mean, different places you go, you learn what you have to do to get by with. But here, they're speaking is thing. They're actually speaking the language. And... On occasion, we'll have someone on our team that may speak the language, but the majority of the time, we're dealing solely with an interpreter, and you're just praying. I mean, I'm praying like, Lord, help what's coming out of this country boy's mouth is actually being understood in in, in this Indian dialect because there is no telling what he's actually preaching up there uh, beside me on the pulpit. But we're seeing there's a mighty move of God. They were bewildered. Uh, the, and and we, we have a clue about this. The word language here is from the Greek word dialecto, which is where we get our word dialect. The people are unsettled because they recognize these people are speaking in a foreign language that they've never studied. And they're sitting there going, oh, my word. You know, Some of us as parents will look over at our kids and they're making you know, straight A's in school and you're thinking to yourself, where did they get that from <laughs> i mean mom's looking at dad going it certainly wasn't you but you know but you're looking at your kids like where did this come from i mean whose child is this i mean where did they get those smarts and and obviously in our family got it from their mom but they, they were amazed or astonished saying all these are speaking are they galileans they were beside themselves and it was out of their minds they marveled and wondered What was happening? It was a true miracle to experience. Acts chapter 2 verse 43 says, All came upon every soul. Many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. They were in awe. uh, Acts chapter 3 verse 10, they were filled with wonder and amazement. It it was something that was blowing their minds. Acts chapter 4 verse 13, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. Now, if you go back to our uh, just a few weeks ago and in study in the, in the book of Mark, what was Peter and John's occupation? They were fishermen. They were they were casting they were casting nets out there and bringing the fish in. So these are not known for being very smart, uh, wise, uh, intelligent men. They had kind of a, a common job, and they were kind of the some of the lower uh, people on the totem pole, so to speak. In that culture and yet people are wondering how did they learn how to speak in all of these foreign languages it was striking Galileans were known to be uneducated they were culturally backward they were hillbillies they were hicks and some of you are thinking looking around going they were from North Carolina I mean you moved here from somewhere else and you're thinking they were a bunch of rednecks and uh, but folks the reality is is the power of God begin to move in the hearts of these Galileans. The followers were flabbergasted because these Galileans could speak fluently. Verse 8 says, How is it that we hear each of us in our own native tongue? When we consider the different areas where the pilgrims came from, it's remarkable. If you look at verse 9, it says, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, the residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus in Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, other parts of Libya belong to Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. Uh, we're, we hear tell them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. So it would be like this morning if we were to ask you, say, stand up, if you are from uh, this morning, just I want let's do a little uh, background. If you were born in Wake County, help us out, everybody here. Uh, if you were born in Wake County, would you stand up? Any of you Rex Hospital babies? You were born in Wake County. Okay, check this out. No, stay standing. All right. These are the locals. If you're wanting to know who the locals are, these are the these are the people who were born here. Say so like two thirds or three fourths of us are not from here. All right, if you're from, born in Johnston County, let's join the group this morning. Born in Johnston County, all right, maybe one, two, Dwayne, of course he was. Clayton, all right, Clayton representing in the house. If you were from Harnett County this morning, you were born there, stand up and, and join them, all right. Harnett County, all right. If you were from some other part of North Carolina, stand up and join us, all right. You you're born in some other part of North Carolina, all right. If you're from the Northeast, we're going to just categorize the whole Northeast together, stand up and join them this morning. From the Northeast, all right, there's a bunch of you this morning. We are, we welcome you to church as well. Uh, if you're from the, the West Coast, all right, let's have you join. Anybody, the West Coast, yeah, all right. If you are from the Midwest, uh, you were born in the Midwest, let's have you join up and stand uh, in the morning somewhere outside of the United States, stand up, all right? If you were born outside of the United States, join us. Anybody else that was born, you can stand up too because I probably missed you. All right, so just to see it, we come from a wide, diverse background, and yet the gospel is available for every single one of us. Do you get that, church? Let's give the Lord a hand. Thank you for dying on the cross for us. You can be seated this morning. So what happens is, he's saying, he's going, he says, it's literally across continents, across multiple countries, all across the, the, the United States of America. And yet, all of these hicks in North Carolina are speaking our language as they're sharing the gospel. And folks, it's, it's mind-boggling. When these first missionaries returned to their countries, they lived on mission spreading the gospel and in just one generation the gospel was exploding across to the ends of the earth you see what happens is God would do such a mighty move through the power of God and folks and we know how it all ends in Revelation chapter 7 verse 9 it says after this I looked behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from every tribe and people and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white, robes with palm branches in their hands, and saying out with a loud voice, crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. You see what happens is, People from every tribe, every tongue, every nation, hearing the gospel in their language. And it's, it's such a beautiful picture. If you go back to the beginning, Adam and Eve were made in the image of God. Their mission was to multiply and, and fill the earth. And, but after sin entered the world, humans were more interested in making a name of themselves. It was pride. And, and, and so instead of filling the earth, they came together in rebellion against God The wording in Acts chapter 2 along with the reference to the languages many nations makes me think of Pentecost as sort of a reversal of what happened at the Tower of Babel in Genesis chapter 11. Instead of spreading the fame of God's name, in Genesis chapter 11 it reveals their self-centeredness, their pride, their ambition as they declare, let us make a name for ourselves and so as a result There at the Tower of Babel, Yahweh came down. He confused the languages. He spread them out across the continents. Here in Acts chapter 2, we see the Spirit of God coming down to proclaim salvation by making the gospel intelligible in all languages. So at one point, He told Him, Go and fill the earth. Then all of a sudden they became prideful and, and, and started making a, uh, this, this temple or the, this tower to the heavens to build a name for themselves. God disperses them. And now here in Acts 2, he's sharing the gospel in every tribe, tongue, and language. And it's fascinating that God's word first to Abraham after Babel was to go. But folks, in Matthew chapter 28, he tells us to go and make disciples of every nation. and Folks, he gives us a command of of how we're to share the good news. It's important because Christianity is not a Western white person's religion. Think about it. It was birthed in the Middle East, and the gospel must go globally. Sometimes we get the mindset, you know what? The American church, we have arrived. I mean, good grief! Check this out. I mean, sometimes I can sit there and, and we can. You got the the buildings, you've got the people, you've got the bands, you've got. I mean, it's it's in lights, and it, we can be so enamored and somehow forget that there's an entire world dying without Jesus Christ. And folks. Jesus Christ died just as much for those people in Wake County who live in Wake County or or Johnson or Harnett County today as he does for the remote villages of Northeast India where we travel by foot because there are no actual roads to get those villages. You say, Pastor, Jesus Christ loves them the same? Absolutely. We've had church under a tree before in Nicaragua and seen people come to faith in Christ. It doesn't require a building. It doesn't require technology and sound systems. In fact, all the years going to Nicaragua, I mean, Stephen, every year it was just kind of like, I mean, you show up, you preach to whoever shows up. And, I mean, I never once thought about having uh, PowerPoint slides. And one of the churches we went to was a new church plant. And it was a church plant in the city of Managua. And it was to a white-collar crowd. These are Intellectuals. These are the doctors and lawyers and the people in the city of Managua that, that were well-to-do. And we walk into a five-star hotel and there is like videos playing and lights. And I'm thinking to myself, what have I walked into? I mean, it was so different from every other place I've ever been in Nicaragua. But It, it goes to show, it goes across cultural barriers. It doesn't matter where you're at. And, and in that service... Probably two-thirds of the people spoke English that day, and I was like, this is the coolest thing I've ever seen. But folks, it was different, because most of the places you go there, no one speaks, they don't speak English, and we're struggling to communicate. It's important to realize evangelism goes across cultural barriers. To evangelize effectively today, we must bridge cultural barriers and preach the gospel in one's heart language. We've got to be willing to take the good news across these barriers. John Piper reminds us we are called to be sojourners, not settlers. Many churches, he says, need to be summoned forcefully out of a merely settler mindset to a pilgrim mindset. He says, if the settler mindset dominates a church, we will not reach our neighborhoods or networks of unbelievers or nations of the world for Christ. He said it's not... Just missionaries that need a risk-taking, comfort-disturbing, semi-nomadic, pilgrim mindset. We all do. Christ did not call us to settle in on this earth as it is. He says, he called us to be exiles and soldiers on the earth. While these spectacular signs are unique and unrepeatable, church, we are called to lift their significance in our current culture today. want to recreate the signs. But folks, the most important thing is to reflect their significance of the move of God and the power of the Holy Spirit on His church. The signs are incidental. But folks, the Holy Spirit of God today is very essential. You cannot uh, displace A move of the power of the Holy Spirit. Since the Holy Spirit gives us power to accomplish His plans, He gives us three significant truths that we're to apply in the church today. He says, the Holy Spirit has been universally poured out on all believers. In the Old Testament, God's Spirit settled upon a few selected individuals. But since Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes upon every believer at the point of salvation. And, and instead of only being with the disciples, the Holy Spirit takes up residence within each one of our hearts if you know Jesus Christ is your Savior this morning. In fact, Jesus said in John 14, he says, I will ask the Father, he will give you another helper. He says, to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be will be in you, but God's plan is to spread the glory of the gospel church to all nations through the church. That's God's plan for the ages. And Ephesians chapter three verse ten it says, "So that through the church, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places." David Platt said this. He says, "The church." Is God's plan A? There is no plan B. As a planner, I like to have a, a backup. All right, uh, I like to have a, a, a second plan. If we and every year, uh, our uh, Jessica's not in the building right now. She's in children in a Kids City. But you know, uh, whenever you're a kids uh, leader, worker, leading a kids ministry. Every year we have the the big Easter egg hunt on Easter Sunday, and I'm telling you, uh, you never know how the weather's going to cooperate. And you're you're planning this big, you know, 3,000 Easter eggs out there on the field, and I mean, you show up on Sunday morning, and it is pouring raining. I mean, you're thinking, what in the world? You can't plan for those things. So you always have to have a plan B. But folks, the church is God's plan A. There is no plan B. We are to... And ever since that birth of the church in Acts chapter 2, the church's mandate is to gather and grow and to give and go to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. We see also all believers are now empowered to be witnesses for Jesus Christ. The meaning of the word Pentecost was not to encourage believers to have an ecstatic experience for their own edification, but it was that we might be empowered to live on mission by telling the story of God's glory. God wants us, upon receiving the power of the Holy Spirit, to go and share it with those that we come in contact with. Because we have the Holy Spirit, you and I can now fulfill the mission found in Acts 1.8, that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses. That's what we call in church life voluntold. All right, you just got voluntold. Uh, I went out uh, earlier this morning, and uh, one of our uh, deacons, Keith, came in. And I said, "These two young men are going to help you uh, put all of the communion supplies together this morning." And I said, "You just got voluntold." All right, so that's how it works sometimes in church life. But you know, he says, "And you will be my witnesses." It's not like, well, Pastor, I didn't get the gift of evangelism. Yeah, you did. He gave it to us through the power of the. I didn't. I'm not an outgoing person, Pastor David. Well, get over yourself. He says you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Raleigh, in Cary. Yeah, those people need Jesus too. I in Johnston County. Yeah, those people need Jesus. Those in Benson. I mean, they need Jesus too. And, and folks, what happens is as we're going forth as a witness, he's calling us and equipping us to be the person he's called us to be. Holy Spirit gives us power to accomplish his plan. Acts 4:31 says when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together what's that Jacob And they were filled with the Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. What is he saying? What is it going to take for the Church of Jesus Christ to be in one accord, folks, and understand? God's already given us the power. We've got to step forward in bold uh, acceptance of what God has called us to. Powerful example of a witness ignited by the Holy Spirit's power took place a couple of years ago. I was following this story um, on the news and so I remember seeing it flash across my, my, my phone as an update and it's a story of a, of a Dallas, former Dallas police officer, her name was Amber Geiger, she entered <laughs> and she shot and killed him, she thought he was an intruder in her, in her house. She was found guilty of murder and sentenced to ten years in prison. Botham's brother, his name is Brant, was was allowed to appear before the judge. To statement: He addressed Amber Geiger directly in the courtroom. They showed all this on live TV. You can watch this. I, I saw this live on my phone. He addressed Amber Geiger directly. What happened next? can only be explained by the power of the Holy Spirit speaking through him as he gave a strong witness for Christ. And I'll be honest, I was sitting there watching this on my phone, bawling, crying, thinking I've never seen anything like this in my life. He says, if you truly are sorry, he's speaking to the lady who killed his brother. Myself, I forgive you. And... I know that if you go to God and ask Him, He will forgive you. He says, I love you. I'm not going to say I hope you rot and die like my brother did, but I presently want the best for you. I don't even want you to go to jail. He says, I want the best for you because I know that's exactly what Botham would want for you. And the best would be that you give your life to Jesus Christ. I think giving your life to Christ would be the best thing that Botham would want you to do. And he says, Again, I wish anything bad on you. Then he turned to the judge and made a request. He says, I don't know if this is possible, but can I give her a hug? Even the newscasters that were showing this and then talking about it begin to cry because he says, Can I give a please? And the judge said yes. And so he goes over and gives this lady who had took his brother's life in cold blood. It took his life and he hugs her. After granting the hug, the reporters tell us the judge exhibited some amazing grace when she came out from behind the bench and she spoke to Amber Geiger, she left the room for a moment, returned with the Bible and gave it to her and said these words, this is your job while you're in custody. And she opened the word of God to John three sixteen, and said, I want you to read this. She said, you did something bad in one moment in time, but what you do now What an unbelievable picture of the love of God and the power of the Holy Spirit at work in a believer's heart to say, I forgive you. I love you. I don't want any harm to come upon you. In fact, I want you to come to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. What a transformation by the power of the gospel. Say, Pastor, what's the application? There are two primary responses anytime the Spirit is moving And the gospel is communicated. Some are receptive to the truth of the gospel. Verse 12 says, all were amazed and perplexed, saying one to another, what does this mean? This group wanted to know for sure. They had questions, but they were wanting to know Christ. They responded receptively to the gospel. But then secondly, others are resistant. Verse 13 says, others mockingly said they're filled with new wine. In other words, they're intoxicated, they're drunk. I wonder this morning, how will you respond to receiving the power? Because you see what happens is the power of Jesus Christ was given to us so that you and I could go forth as a bold witness of Jesus Christ. And his power to transform our lives. How are you going to respond to the power? What happened to those first followers there at Pentecost? How God worked through them can and must happen to the church today if we're going to accomplish greater things. Church, we must live out the gospel in our daily lives and walk in his power if we're going to impact our city and see greater things accomplished for the kingdom of God. Holy Spirit, would you move in our hearts this morning?